We're studying Luke, Luke's gospel. Last week we got into the preliminaries, hopefully got them out of the way, so now we're looking at the text. Charles, is there a PowerPoint that came? One moment. We're going to look at the, uh, we've got a quarter to do Luke. Luke has some long chapters. The hardest thing I do in this job, I think, is try to teach a book without teaching the whole book. Pull sections of it out. That's what we're going to have to do when this quarter, or through this quarter. Uh, I've done the thing where you do two quarters on a book. That can work, but we're going to try doing Luke in one quarter, and so I'm going to have to pull some sections out, and it's hard to figure out. Maybe I should divide it up. I'll pass it out to you, a list of the sections, and we'll vote on the sections. That's not a bad idea, because that would require you to read it all, and you would probably learn more doing that. Well, okay, we'll, we'll play around with that idea. There are the first three readings, 1, 5 through 7, 1, 8 to 17, and 1, 18 to 25. The first four verses we dealt with briefly last week, but as a review, let's read them together. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it down for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. This is a unique beginning for a gospel, but you may have noticed all the gospels have unique beginnings. They're not the same. It's the same story, the same account, different perspectives. It all agrees Each writer agrees with the other, which is an amazing thing in and of itself. To me, that's evidence that it's all from God. But Luke is saying there are others who've determined to write down the account of Jesus' time among us. He doesn't name any of those guys. We might make the assumption he's talking about Matthew. He's talking about Mark. He may be talking about John. When you do the research for the dates uh, of these writings, these Gospels, you'll find that there's a lot of disagreement and there's some controversy about when men believe they were written. But the evidence in each one is that they were all written prior to A.D. 70, and the evidence in Luke, as we saw last week, is that it was written prior to A.D. 64. Do you remember why? What that evidence was. When you get to the end of the book of Acts, who's still alive when Luke finishes Acts, the last two verses? The Apostle Paul is still alive. He was put to death in Nero's reign, A.D. 64. Some say 63, but we'll, we'll, we'll just say A.D. 64 for sake of argument. And when Luke finishes Acts, he writes as though Paul is still in Rome when he finishes that work. And Luke must have been written before Acts. So we're looking at the early part of the 60s, more or less, Uh, I think for that, the writing of Luke. But others have taken uh, pains to write it down, and there may be a lot of Gospels recorded that we don't have because they weren't necessarily inspired. But Jesus' coming was a big deal to a lot of people. And probably a lot of folks kept records. 
But the Holy Spirit inspired four to be put down in black and white and preserved for us, and Luke is one of those. So who wants to read verses 5 through 7? Got a volunteer. One of you very literate people in English. I know you're, all right, there's one right. I said literate, and Shannon said, that's me. I'm a literate guy. I'll read the first verses, and then who's got 8 through 17? All right, Robert's got 8 through 17, 18 to 25. 18 to 25, all right. We've got readers for these three sections. We're talking about John. Remember what did Luke say about how he was going to do this? Going to be in chronological order, in order. So let's read. There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord in emergency. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside of the tower of the incense altar. Now an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice over his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will, will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And if it, if it is he who will go as forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. All right. Thank you all for reading. I'd like to ask the question, how many prophets did God send to prepare the way for his son? And I'd like to ask another question alongside that. If it were you, how many would you send? I would send like 10,000. I'd flood the place with prophets. Obviously, God and I don't always think exactly alike. How many did he send? He sent one. One prophet. One prophet is enough. If I send one with whose spirit? The spirit 
and power of Elijah. We talked about Elijah last night to some degree in the men's class. And one of the things to me that's outstanding about Elijah, it's kind of like Micaiah. These were two prophets of God who ministered in Israel after the kingdom was divided. And Israel was a godless place. But these were two men who stood up for the Lord there and accomplished great things. And here is one prophet who's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. And who's he, who's he going to be born to? An old couple. Advanced in years. And I, I know I'm speculating when I make this observation or ask this question. But when you read verse 25... This is what Elizabeth says. This is how the Lord's dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my what? Disgrace. Some translations have. What do other translations have? Reproach. In other words, she looked upon her barrenness as something like a punishment, a a disgrace, a reproach. God never meant it that way, though, did he? Man, there's a lesson for you and me. When we look at something that's happened in our lives and we, well, God's punishing me. Well, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. What if Job thought that? There's so many things that God does that, that we don't know what he's doing. And instead of coming to a conclusion about why this is happening to you, what's the one thing you should do? Just put your faith in him, whatever it is, put your faith in him. Go to him, run to him, talk to him, ask him about it. Complain about it if you want to. He's okay. He knows what we are. Complain. Just talk to him. Reason with God. That's what Isaiah said. Come, let us reason together. That's what God had Isaiah to write. And so here is this woman. I have to wonder how many nights she cried herself to sleep because she didn't have any children. And all the while, because I don't think for one instant that God said, well, see, we need somebody to give birth to John the Baptist. Who are we going to get? Who's 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 available? I don't think so. I think she's been on the list ever since day one to have this baby. God just never sent her a note, a memo, said, hey, hang on. She's a young woman probably when she gets married and didn't get a note. You're not going to have any children for a while, but just wait. You're going to get the one prophet that God's going to send to prepare the way for his son. Never got that note. But God had a plan for her all along. And I believe the same about you and me. I think God has a plan for you and me all the time. He's got things ready for us to do. Jobs that need to be done that have my name on it, jobs that have your name on it, people that need to be spoken to about him, people who need to, to hear God glorified. It's, it's for us to do, and he's got things for us to do. I can't prove that, but I know there's a passage in Proverbs I, I bank on. Uh, says, the mind of man plans his way. But the Lord directs his steps. And we're seeing that, I believe, played out right here. These were good people, righteous people. Everything Luke writes about them says these were righteous folks. But they didn't have any child. Until Gabriel comes to Zacharias and says, I'm going to have a boy. Got to name him John. He's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. All right. By the way, didn't John, our John, do a good job? John in here tonight or is he in the teenage class? 
All right. He, he did a great job a couple weeks ago. We talked about Zechariah and, and this. Anybody got anything on this? Any observations or questions? All right. Don. John had made a decision to do nothing, and he received the Holy Spirit in the womb. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's kind of different, you know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a believer that we need to have, we have free will decision. But I am a believer in predestination, too, and I don't know how that works. Maybe it's something like Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. And mathematically, that don't work out. But somehow I do believe, too, that it's 100%. we got to make decisions, and 100% God predetermines us. I don't know how that works. <laughs> it works. You know, right. I don't know how that works. But. And the mystery of time. What, what does God see down through time? And, and can he know something before it happens? It's like, duh, of course he knows things before they happen. But uh, I, there are questions there that I don't know how to answer. I just read and I see this is what happens. Holy Spirit is, is in the baby while he's in the womb. By the way, you may notice as you read through Luke's gospel how many times he talks about the Holy Spirit. It's just... By the, you're not even done. You just get started in chapter four, and he's already talking about the Holy Spirit nine different times. So that, that to me, is, is interesting. Good observation and good question. Uh, it's one that we're left with because we just can't answer it. All right. So let's talk about John a little bit in prophecy. This is Isaiah, 700 years plus before this happens. Can you read that? Is that readable? Well, that's supposed to be blue. It's supposed to be a real pretty navy blue. Anyway. Oh, it is up there. Well, read that one then. Don't read that one. Read that one. And if you want, you can come down here. It's really pretty here on this one. No. The voice of one calling out. By the way, where's the best place to read that? In your own Bible. You can, you can read your own Bible. That's okay in this class. I don't mind. The voice of one calling out. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the uneven ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. And then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then we, there's, there's more there that I, I had put in, but it made, the, made it too busy, so I dropped down to verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but what abides forever? The word of the Lord. Who's John preparing the way for? The word incarnate, the word in the flesh. And so this is Isaiah speaking 700 years plus before Jesus is born and 700 years plus before John is born, the one that this passage is talking about. And then you stay in the Old Covenant looking at Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I'm sending my messenger. He will clear away before me. And the Lord whom you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of armies. That's the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. And he'll sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. He'll purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. So, it's interesting the way this is worded. This is God speaking through Malachi. Behold, I am sending my messenger, and he will clear away before me. So is this God the Father speaking through Malachi, or is it God Jesus Christ speaking through Malachi? Remember what Peter said? Peter talked about 
the spirit of Christ that was in the prophets. Talking about the salvation that would come. Isn't that interesting? Yes. It sounds like Jesus, but actually it, both of them did the same thing. But this is specifically, I believe, about John. Because when it speaks of John in the Gospels, it says this, this is the guy who fulfills this. And Jesus himself said, Elijah would come first. And the apostles realized, oh, he's talking about John. John, Jesus' cousin, was the fulfillment of both of these. But when you, when you look at this, I'm sending my messenger. He'll clear away before me. And the Lord whom you're seeking will suddenly come to his temple. What do you, what do you picture in your mind eye, Jesus coming to the temple? What's he do at the temple? First, he clears that baby out of all those who should not be here. You're not going to make my father's house a place of merchandise. He is a refiner's fire. What does a refiner's fire do? It purifies. you got gold. You want silver to be purified. You put it in the fire. And the fire helps you separate the gold from the impurities that are in that gold. And this is what Malachi is saying Jesus is going to do. But Jesus' way is going to, prepared by, going to be prepared by one who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. And this is where Luke starts. Luke doesn't start with the genealogy that's coming. He's just a little bit. We'll get to that. But he starts with this narrative about Zacharias and Elizabeth being given John. And it's, it's pretty cool because it's the fulfillment of what's been prophesied for hundreds of years. All right. Let's do some more reading here. Chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. 39 to 45 and 57 to 66. Who would like 26 to 38? Anybody feel like reading? All right. Kurt has got 26 to 38, 39 to 45. And you know, okay, Jamie. And then 57 to 66. All right, William, we're good. Let's read. Six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now Mary arose in the days and went to the hill country with haste to see the city of Judah and into the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out in a loud voice saying, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe left in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who is believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she brought forth the son, and her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it came about that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias, after his father. And his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him, what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosened. And he began to speak in praise of God. And fear came on all those living around them. And all those and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with me. Right. Appreciate you guys reading. Let's go back to verse 26 where it says, In the sixth, sixth month. What sixth month of what? Sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. She's now been carrying John for six months. And the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, guess what, Mary? Going to have a baby. And he tells, him, tells her some things about this child. He will be great, verse 32, and will be called the son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. So not only is Mary getting word about her own uh, conception, She's getting word about Elizabeth's. Six months ago, Elizabeth got word she was going to give birth to John. Now I'm telling you, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. K. 
Can you imagine being a young woman like her and receiving this kind of news? And all of this is in fulfillment of that which was said in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. She's the woman in view of Genesis 3.15 when God said to Satan, the seed of woman is going to bruise Satan's head when Satan will bruise his heel. God doesn't do anything without planning and all of his plans come to pass. And it, it doesn't matter what anybody says, does, or thinks. God's plans come to pass. And we're seeing this. We're seeing this fact of God being proven with 4,000 years of difference because the creation was about 4,000 years prior to this. And so the evidence for us is look at the beginning and look at the end in this 4,000-year period of what God has promised and what God is doing and everything in between that he's done to raise a nation because he didn't pick a nation. He raised his own nation. He didn't look down on the world, oh, there's the Jews, I'll use them. No. He looked down and he said, there's Abraham. I'll give him a child. By the way, how old was Abraham when he and Sarah had their baby? He was 100. She was 90. That's why when she was told she was going to have a baby, what'd she do? She laughed. (laughs) She laughed. And what was the baby's name? In Hebrew, is he laughed, or he laughs. So, God does crazy stuff. He does things, like Isaiah said, that are above the way we would think about doing it and superior to the way we would think about doing it. And throughout history, he's, he's pulled this nation together, and he started with 12 boys who were such knuckleheads that they sold their brother into slavery and you think well there goes that that was the boy through which it was supposed to happen but then you see God's plan that's exactly what needed to happen who would have thought especially not Joseph would have thought well when I'm sold into slavery then I'll go down to Egypt and it won't be long I'll be second in command down there but that's the way God does things and then later on Talking about this on our meeting tonight. Israel becomes enslaved by the Egyptians. By the way, why were they in Egypt in the first place? Because there was a famine. And Abraham's family was brought down there. And they stayed for about 400 years. And by the time they came out, they'd been enslaved. And what does God do? Who does he send to get them out of slavery? An 80-year-old shepherd. So here we are. This older couple that's never had a child, God says, I'm going to give you the boy that's going to prepare the way for my son. And then six months later, sends his angel Gabriel to this young woman named Mary. says, you're going to have a child. And he's going to be God's son. And all of this is coming to pass based on 4,000 years of promise and prophecy and so when we look to the future don't look to the future with doubt hold on to the Lord God Almighty and look to the future with confidence that everything he's ever promised he's going to bring about 
We are his people, and whatever we deserve, don't worry about what we deserve. Look at the people in his history and see how much they deserved of anything. And he always held on to a remnant. What happened to the, to the nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes? They went off into captivity because of idolatry, but, but what did God do with Judah? There was a, a remnant there. He preserved them, even though they were taken into captivity also by Nebuchadnezzar. And then 70 years later, they came back. That's what we're studying on Sunday morning. Ezra and Nehemiah, they came back. It took them a while. They, they came back. And see, I would have thought, well, the thing you do, you come back first and you build the wall because you need a wall to make everything secure. No, they came back first, they built a temple. Then they came and they built the wall. People came back. Jerusalem was reestablished. Israel was reestablished. How did this happen? It was funded by Cyrus. And then when people in the area complained to Cyrus about it, Cyrus said, okay, you can fund it. This is the way God does things all the time. He's, he's fulfilling his will through the people in the world. So don't look at the world and think that the world is overwhelmingly strong against the church. Look at the church and feel sorry for the world that they're not part of the kingdom of God. Preach the gospel to people because they are in darkness and we... I don't like to say we're going to win. But John does use the word victory. And what does John say is our victory? Our faith is the victory. And Luke is writing these things down for Theophilus. So Theophilus can read these things and see exactly how they happen in order. And Luke doesn't play on this idea of faith as much as John did. But this is why he's writing it down. John, or uh, rather Romans, Romans ten seventeen. what does it say? Faith comes by hearing, and that by the word of God. And we're seeing this played out with Elizabeth. We're seeing it played out with Mary and all of these things. Now, I, I skipped over what is called the Magnificat. This is Mary magnifying God is what this is, verses 46 to 56. I didn't skip over it because I think it's unimportant. I just, that, that's something you can read on your own personally. But we sing the song, my soul exalts the Lord, my soul magnifies God. We've got a song that we sing that goes, that's, that's taken from this. And I, I just want you to be aware, next time we sing that song, it comes right out of Luke chapter 1. All right. Yes. Talk about Sarah laughing, but it wasn't too earlier than that that Abraham also laughed. Oh yeah, they, it was to them. And I, I don't know that they laughed out of a lack of faith. It's it's just sometimes things strike you in a certain way. Really, <laughs> I'm going to have a baby. It, it's just because you have a. You have a certain way of thinking, the, the normal way of thinking about things. And when you're presented with something that this is going to be very different than that, it, sometimes we laugh. Well, it's, it's an interesting thing why we laugh sometimes. Uh, but it's understandable. They were really advanced Yes. And the, the thought might have been ridiculous to them. It, the text doesn't say. See, that's another reason why... When I read the Bible, I think, okay, this had to be from God because a man would have stopped right there and he would have explained why he laughed and all the ins and the outs of... Didn't do that. 
Just says he laughed. Just makes the report. He laughed. Sarah laughed. She was called on the cart before. Oh, Sarah laughed. And it doesn't say he was berating her for laughing. And she, oh, no, I, I didn't laugh. Oh, yes, you did laugh. It's kind of like, I caught you. And God knows us just like we know our children. And we expect our children to behave childishly, don't we? In some ways. We don't expect perfection from them, and I know he doesn't expect perfection from us because he, he sees that too clearly. What does he expect? Faith. He expects faith. That's the one thing we have that we can always offer God. We can't always do right because we're just weak and we're sometimes we just don't act like we have a lot of sense, but we can always come back in faith. Hey, Lord, I know I messed up, but I still believe in you, and I know you love me, and you care about me, and I'm, I'm a goofball, and I wish I hadn't have said those things and done those things, but I did, and I'm sorry, man. Can you help me out? And you walk the streets talking to God about your behavior, hoping that you don't have to reap a harvest of all the things you've sown. And God says, I know, I know. I, I think that's the way he works all the time. And he's working with these people. Why, why is Zechariah stuck with dumbness, being unable to speak? He didn't accept what Gabriel told him. Yes, he, he stumbled at that. He had a lack of faith, and Gabriel knew that, understood that. And so he was, okay, here's evidence for you. You're not going to say anything until your boy's born. And then when, when John is born, they say, what do you want to name this boy? And he, he writes out, John, why does he write it out? Because he still can't talk. And they say, well, what do you mean, John? You don't have anybody in your family named John. And he said, John. And as soon as that matter is established, he starts talking again. So, yes, Harold. How Mary's response was to Gabriel as well. And she said that uh, how can these things be since I'm a virgin? It's not. seems like there's a little difference between Gabriel's response he didn't believe it was possible because she seemed to say, well, it, this is not likely because I'm a virgin. And he did not say anything to her that says, well, you won't be able to speak or talk or anything. He just told her it was going to happen. And right. she accepted that fully, seems like to me. And there's a difference between the two. There is a difference. And once again, the Holy Spirit didn't inspire Luke to describe and explain all the details of those differences. But you can ask a question. Out of wonder, wow, how, how can that be? Uh, it, it can be out of, how is this going to be accomplished? Because she didn't know. She was just a, a young girl, I'm sure. I doubt she was very old at all. That's another thing Luke doesn't tell us the details of. But an honest question, and somehow Zechariah's query was, was not the same thing. And so Gabriel says, all right, well, I'll give you some proof. You'll be silent until the boy's born. Face God, talk to him, but always keep faith with him in what he says and everything he says. And when people are arguing over what the Bible says and you're feeling like, well, maybe I'll just cave a little bit and I won't stand up for what I know the Bible says about this because I don't want to be unpopular or be cast. No, no. Stand up for what you know is right. Have faith. Don't don't cave in. Don't be afraid. Yes. 
what is the Jewish name unless God called Jesus or whoever by an Anglo-Saxon name? Well, I don't know anything about Anglo-Saxon. You think the the Jutes and the Angles and the Saxon had made it down into Judea by that time? Her real name is Maria. The, the Greek word is Eoane. We pronounce it John, but it's Eoane, just like Jesus in the Greek is Eesus. So you can, you can research the origin of Eoane, but... Well, John, John is the English spelling, but it's not the Greek. Greek's a little different. Just like Jesus is... Yes. And that's the same name that Joshua had. It means the same thing, Joshua. Mike? Johanna. 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 Source Jehovah, but Johanna. Okay. You said research. <laughs> it's, it's handy, yeah. <laughs> Rabbi Google. Rabbi Google, right there. Theophoric meaning it has to do with God. Exactly. Right. From the Hebrew name Johanna. Yeah, or Johanna. Right. <laughs> I had to chuckle last September when we were in Israel. Our, our guide was Israeli and he kept talking about, oh, I'm going to have to ask Rabbi Google. Also, uh, it also means that, uh, that God is gracious. Okay. Because, because, I'll, give, I'll give him a phone. I'll <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting thing you can do with with so many of the Bible names because we give kids names today because we like the sound of it. Or we knew somebody that had that name and they gave it a good... And sometimes you'll refuse to give your kid a name because I knew somebody in school that I didn't like. But, But people in these days were given names because they meant something. Almost all of them were. And towns were given names. Bethlehem. What does the name Bethlehem mean? Anybody know? Bethlehem, house of, house of bread. Jesus was born in a town called House of Bread. Uh, Bethel, house of God. Don? Well, if, you, if you're ever interested in names, you can look in the complete Jewish Bible. And they don't, they don't change the names. So like the Holy Spirit, you know, Rock Holosh or something, it will say Jesus' name, it will say Peter's name. It won't say it won't say that. But what also is really interesting about it is it, it translates everything. So it it didn't anglicize baptism. So everywhere it says baptism, it says immersion, right. or immersed, or you know. It's, a, it, it's interesting to read that sometimes. I mean, I don't always like everything that, the way they translate everything, but I do like to look at names sometimes, and I like to look at uh, when I know that a, a word has been changed to English. I like to see what, how did they translate it. You know? Right. And I also, I appreciate the fact, now that we're talking about this, in Acts chapter 2, what was the thing that amazed the people who heard the apostles speak? What did they specifically say was happening? So we are hearing these men speak in the languages in which we were born. God did not give us a gospel that was limited to a language. 
He didn't give us a gospel. Well, if you don't know Hebrew, you're not going to be able to figure this out. If you don't know Hebrew, you won't understand the Old Testament. If you don't know Greek, you're, you're going to be lost. He gave us a gospel that can be translated into any language. And it all comes back to faith in Jesus. If you can communicate, put your faith in Jesus to people, you can bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's fascinating to me to read from uh, the, the Hebrew definitions and the meanings of the Hebrew words, and same with the Greek, and there's a lot of insight that can be gained, but the gospel is not limited to those two languages. As a matter of fact, uh, Koine Greek is not a language that's even spoken anymore. It's called a dead language because it's, it's just not used. And how great is that? That God has given us his son's New Testament in a language that's not going to change. Scholars today can go back and they can research the original documents, not, not the original documents of the New Testament, but original documents of the first few centuries and say this is how they use that word. And, and this is why we know when we find it in the New Testament, that's what it means. And when you read... When you get a Greek New Testament, if you were to get a Greek New Testament and you would read it, you would probably have footnotes that say, here's some alternate readings. And when you go to those alternate readings, you think, oh, no, alternate readings. It's going to be way off different. No, it's never way off different. It's like there's an extra letter added to this word here or something like that, which you would totally expect if there is a, an original document that's being copied by people who were just human beings and copying, can you imagine what they were copying with? Not too many computers. I remember how great it was when I was going to school and we got an electric typewriter. How many of you remember banging on those keys as hard as you could bang because it was mechanical and you had to hit them hard enough to make a letter? And if you hit the wrong one, you had to get out that little paper and put down there and then back up, find the exact spot, and hit that key again, and then you had a little white thing on your paper. And then somebody bought us some of the stuff you painted on. I thought, that was great. Just painted on there. Anyway. And now what do we have? They didn't have any of that stuff. They had paper made out of plants that had been pounded out. Uh, papyrus made with reeds. And they had... They had some decent materials, but not anything like we've got today. And it was expensive. So they wrote with care, and they protected what they wrote. And a lot of those documents have come down to us today and, and can be compared. God has preserved his word, and he's preserved everything we need to know that what we've got before us is legitimate. So that's something else. When somebody's, oh, the Bible's been rewritten so many times, you can know one thing about them. They haven't looked into how the text of the scriptures has been transmitted down through the centuries. They have no clue. They're just parroting something somebody else said to try to detract from the word of God. You do your own research into how the Bible was handed down to us, and you'll find out, oh, it was pretty detailed. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947, 49, 47, they, they found, for example, the scroll of Isaiah. And they said, wow, we're going to find out how much Isaiah has changed since the first century. And what did they discover about it? Nothing had changed. Nothing had changed in 2,000 years. It's like, wow. 
Why did those scrolls stay hidden until that time? And why were they discovered basically by accident? Nobody was looking for them. Kid threw a rock in a cave and heard a sound like something breaking. He said, "Uh uh-oh, what have I done? And when they looked into it, they found those scrolls. It's, It's... You just see the hand of God all over the place. And that's what Luke is writing about here. The hand of God in bringing this prophet for his son into into Elizabeth's life six months before he would go to see Mary. And here's young Mary going to have Jesus. Yes? The Dead Sea Scrolls and how God works. And so the Essenians, this was a monastic group. Uh, right. Uh, you know, in the first century and before. And they were, they were a group that uh, withdrew themselves from Jewish society because they, they believed that it was corrupt, that the, that the temple was corrupt, and they withdrew themselves to their own monastic place and uh, gave themselves over to copying the scriptures to make sure that they would remain pure. They didn't, they didn't go into the city. They had nothing to do with the priests, nothing. They lived that monastic life and uh, uh, made those copies that you've just been talking about and put them in jars and, and hid them in the caves, hoping that one day, you know, uh, that uh, the Jewish society would be cleansed and purified and, and that God's word would remain and they, they would not be corrupted by the... Uh, present generation and it's amazing how God used they didn't quite know what the future was going to come uh, what was going to happen but he used their you know their skills and their uh, their thinking at the time uh, for people who would take advantage of that 2,000 years later you know as you just mentioned their writings their copies uh, bear out the fact that we have the same old scriptures today that Jesus himself was reading. We're reading exactly the same scripture. Right. Yeah. He he quoted often, apparently, from what's called the Septuagint virgin. Virgin. (laughs) Septuagint version. Talking about Mary, I guess, that on my... (laughs) But uh, that's the Old Testament in Greek. It was put together about 200 years uh, before the coming of Christ in the flesh. And he, he used it. One, is that the first bell or the second? If you'll bear with me, please. One text as we finish up. Peter wrote about this, uh, about the prophets and about how the spirit of Christ was in them. And it's, it's worthy of note as we close. I can't talk and look up passage of scripture at the same time. Let's see here. First uh, Peter chapter one verse ten. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So Peter is saying it was the Spirit of Christ in these prophets as they wrote about the sufferings of Christ. Jesus is inspiring them. Write about what's going to happen to me when I get there. You, you tell them about that. It was revealed to them, it says in verse 12, that they were not serving themselves, but you. Talking about the the Essenes who put those scriptures in those jars and hid them from the Romans and whoever else to preserve them. Uh, 
They were not serving themselves but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I I read this because I don't know that Luke ever had a view for what his gospel was going to accomplish. I don't think that Luke wrote that down thinking in in 2,000 years people in a place called Oklahoma are going to be studying this together to learn about God. I don't know that Luke had that kind of thought process going on. But God did. God did. And so here we are tonight. Thank you for your kind attention. I appreciate it. Class dismissed.